You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Everybody, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. As always, I am Danny Anderson, and I come to you from Mount Aloysius College in Crescent, Pennsylvania, where I am an assistant, soon-to-be associate professor of English. Uh, and today, I am joined um, by Dr. Robert Earlwine. And I have to once again thank Plow Publishing uh, for sending <laughs> Dr. Earlwine my way. Um, this is um, uh, two episodes in a row, if you're a regular listener, of, uh, of Plow Books that we'll be covering. Um, that wasn't intentional anyway. It just sort of has to do with the re- coordinating with release dates and that sort of thing. And uh, um, last time we talked to um, Rachel Pye Jones about her b- book Pillars, um, how living with Muslim friends helped strengthen her Christian faith. Uh, and today we're um, talking about uh, a really important figure in Judaism. Um, and Dr. Earl Wine has put together for Plow uh, a book called Thunder in the Soul to be Known by God. By, and it's a, a collection of work by Abraham Joshua Heschel. And uh, if you have not heard of Heschel or not familiar with his work, I think you're going to find it really um, revelatory. And I think you're going to find it extremely relevant to our modern state uh, of theology and political discourse as well. Um, I was really excited. Once again, uh, I thank Plow um, for sending me a book that, as always, it sort of resists these kind of binaries that we have grown habituated to. Um, and I think I can make an argument that they've kind of spoiled our imagination about both politics and religion. And uh, and uh, Heschel's work certainly complicates those binaries. And Dr. Earl Wine, thank you for coming on the show to talk about it. Thank you for having me. Um, I really think it makes a valuable contribution um, to the kinds of questions that we need to ask ourselves these days. Uh, and do you want to tell me a little, tell your my audience here a little bit about yourself and your kind of research interests so they get to know you and, and maybe how Heschel works into this a bit? So I'm a philosopher of religion by kind of training. And um, but one who tends to work with with Jewish thinkers predominantly, although I I work with I mean, in order to engage them, you have to engage people like Immanuel Kant, Heidegger, Hegel. But mostly I'm, I'm very interested in in questions about. Um, what does it mean to believe in some, you know, how, what are the resonances of, of the kind of the monotheistic traditions? How do they survive? in a in in the contemporary landscape and and what shapes do they take so my first book was was all about was called monotheism and tolerance and it was i mean it was very much a post 9 11 book and it's talking about the the kind of the 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 sort of discourse around tolerance and religious tolerance uh particularly these very critical um pieces that you know that were emerging that the monotheisms are inherently intolerant and what I did is I just kind of looked at past philosophers within these traditions from the 18th and 19th centuries and how did they work this out? How did they think about it, Jewish and Christian? Um, 
you know, and, and more recently, I, and in other works, I've looked at the way Jewish thinkers have tried to understand the position of Judaism in terms of this idea of the West, right? Is Judaism Western? Is it not? Uh, and this gets particularly kind of um, intense in the 20th century because around Nazism and, and this emergence, there was a desire to cast Judaism as somehow alien to the West. And so I look at the way these, th the way a lot of the, these discussions uh, kind of emerged and how they shaped the very casting of Judaism in, in 20th century thought. And, and now I'm, I'm more working on issues of kind of, um, I'm, I'm very interested in the question of like the, the conceptual implications of climate change and, you know, some of the, the philosophical challenges for how we think about agency and subjecthood. And, and what does that mean for a decidedly kind of humanist uh, set of questions, which Jewish thought has historically, the kind of thinkers I'm interested in have been overwhelmingly you know, keen to separate the 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 human being from other parts of nature. So those are the kinds of things I'm I'm looking at. Um, and yeah, that's I can see why you're drawn to Heschel's work then. Yeah. Uh, and so, can you give us a little bit uh, of just biographical background on who Abraham Joshua Heschel is? I, I mentioned to you before we were recording. I'm kind of embarrassed that I've frankly he's gone under my radar until very recently um just before your book um landed into my hands i'd finally heard of him and uh and and i feel like that's partially obviously partially my fault but also there's some kind of absence from him in uh, the public uh domain and so i would like to uh um hear just a little bit about him so his biography is is rather extraordinary um you know he he was born in warsaw in poland in 1907 and he was born and, and raised in the world of, of Polish Hasidic Judaism, right? And he had just this really illustrious lineage, a very famous rabbis on both sides of his family tree. And as was the custom in this environment, you know, he started studying uh, Jewish holy texts at age three. I mean, that's, you know, the kids start. But he quickly proved to, well, boys at least, yeah. <laughs> in, in this environment. And he quickly proved himself to be a, a kind of a prodigy with learning. He seemed destined to be a Hasidic Rebbe, mm -hmm. but he didn't become one. He ended up becoming very interested in, um, I mean, he, he was ordained. He had a rabbinic ordination from the this environment, but he left to, to go to Vilna to study at a gymnasium. And, you know, he, he started writing Yiddish poetry. And then he goes to Berlin, which was uh, before the Nazis, right? It was the hub of the, you know, the European intellectual universe with art, philosophy, but also Yiddish and Jewish studies, right? And so there he, um, uh, he, he had a he got a PhD from the University of Berlin. He um, and he was very engaged. He studied a lot of liberal Jewish. You know, he was at the Hochschule für die uh, Jüdische, um, sorry, Hochschule für die uh, Wissenschaft des Judentums. And there he, um, you know, he studied. You know, he became very interested in biblical criticism, uh, but he also still associated with with Orthodox. He was he was all over the place, which was also very much how he was in the US. He he affiliated with all these different kind of branches of, of Judaism and really belonged to none. Um, 
then when, of course, the Nazis come to power and he was um, kicked out of, uh, he, I mean, he was expelled um, from, from Germany and um, he ends up barely escaping to the U.S. Uh, you know, he had gotten a visa from a school at, uh, uh, or sorry, he had gotten an invitation to come work at Hebrew Union College, but he couldn't get a visa and there were, there were visa problems, but he did finally get out um, just before the Nazis invaded Poland. And then he comes to the U.S. and, you know, he 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 has to learn, you know, really improve his English. And and he quickly proves to be a master of the English language. Um, you know, he he wrote works in like four different languages. He published works um, and increasingly as he starts writing and, and becoming um, he gets increasingly involved in in American politics, even as he's making his name right writing these really important works of theology he becomes increasingly like a, a a public intellectual and he starts getting very involved in the uh civil rights movement the anti-vietnam war movement and also behind the scenes with with vatican ii um getting changed the the position of the church with regard to judaism so he was someone who was in and the other thing that's extraordinary about him, not only did he have a unique place in American Judaism, um, affiliating again with all of these different kind of um, institutions and, and different uh, denominations, but belonging to none, but he also had this kind of amazing relationship with Christian theologians. So for example, he, he became very good friends with Reinhold Niebuhr after Niebuhr wrote a review. And in fact, in many ways outside the Jewish world, this is when he becomes famous is Niebuhr wrote a glowing review uh, of uh, Man is Not Alone, um, which was his work from 1951. Uh, they gradually, they become very good friends, right? And in fact, it was Heschel, Heschel delivered his eulogy, uh, Niebuhr's eulogy. Um, he was very close with Martin Luther King Jr. He was close with um, Daniel Berrigan and uh, William Sloan Coffin Jr., a number of other theologians. He had connections kind of across. And, and so he was a, a very kind of influential and engaged uh, thinker, as well as someone who is deeply mired in the traditional sources and or deeply rooted in the traditional sources and a kind of leading exponent or, um, of, of theology. Um, and he becomes very, um, not only friends with Martin Luther King, I mean, he sort of um, collaborates on a lot of right. activism, right? Absolutely. And so there's a, uh, I feel like there's a great movie to be made in, yeah. <laughs> out of this life. And, and it's a real shame that he seems to have, since his death, kind of flown under the... the well, the, the... well, it's interesting. We are in a very Heschelian moment. Yeah. And I will say there's, I think there's a, a documentary that's coming out now that looks like it's going, it's going to, um, I'm not sure where it's going to be shown, but it's, and then there's, I know there's others in the work. Like, I think there's a certain recognition that his, he is very much of our moment or we are of his. Oh, and that's what I was going to ask you next then. Um, what is it about his work that is so relevant, so um, prophetic, uh, to use one of his terms, uh, to our uh, our kind of cultural moment then? I mean, there, there's a lot. Okay, so on the one hand, right, when you, when you read him, when you read him today, it, his words, it feels a lot of times, it feels like he's speaking about our present moment, um, whether it's his critique of technology or, you know, the kind of consumerist mindset but also his deep engagement 
with questions of racial justice. Um, and in this particular moment we're living in, here, you know, here, um, what, what I think is so interesting and so important about Heschel for our present moment um, is he's deeply, deeply rooted in traditional Jewish sources. But at the same time, this, this rootedness does not lead him to seclude himself from the world or to somehow, but rather that it's, it's precisely his engagement that, that leads him outward, right? To a kind of universalist sensibility and uh, a, a deep kind of progressive political vision. It's, it's precisely his rootedness in the tradition. Yeah, that's one thing that really kind of on a personal level um, I connected with. And, and I mentioned before we started recording how I feel uh, a, a synergy here in some of Heschel's thought with Matthew Arnold, who's someone who I'm uh, deeply kind of attracted to intellectually. And, uh, and and I think one this is one area they have something in common is that there is it's I wouldn't even call it navigating a tension between. Uh, tradition and kind of uh, prog progressive uh, revelation. Um, it's actually seeing those as part of the same thing, uh, and so and so that's that's one thing that's really kind of um, uh, fascinating to me and makes him a particularly interesting character uh, for me uh, to kind of read about. And I happen to work at a school, uh, Mount Aloysius College. We have a really wonderful theological library that too few people mm. take take advantage of. And so when I finished this book, I, I actually ran down there and uh, and picked up uh, some more of his books uh, that we have on uh, in our show, on our stacks here. So um, the prophets is right behind me you could probably see it on oh, the camera yeah. there uh and so um I, i'm looking forward to getting more into his work and on a deeper level but let's just kind of uh take this book as sort of a primer uh to his thought and um on one level let me first kind of say the prose style is very interesting it's almost it's proverbial they're they're, they're yeah. very tweetable sentences if you, right, if you right. <laughs> and so it's very kind of like every sentence is its own little world of insight uh and and they and yet they connect uh, as a whole as well and so right. as a reading experience, it's actually, um, it's actually great. And so, um, but let's kind of talk about uh, a little progression I see uh, in the way that you've arranged his ideas here in this book. Um, one is you've kind of put together some words that he has a kind of a, I don't know how to say it, a critique of an over-reliance on material and sort of immediate experience. And so, to counterbalance that, uh, he's he talks about the the need for spirit or something like uh, or creativity and, and this sort of thing. And I, for me, those are all sort of uh, riffs on a same on a common theme. Um, but could you talk a little bit about spirit and uh, and this kind of spirit of creativity and and how it uh, relates to this idea of tradition and revelation? But so right so so for for Heschel. The present moment, the how we're living, like the, the moment we're living in is so much richer. There's so much more than we often recognize. Uh, he has this great line where he talks about what the psychic is to the future, the religious person is to the present. They sense the significance of the present moment that so often we just don't, right? And so, so much of his work, um, his kind of more main, like the, the ones that are engaging with philosophy of religion and so on. It's about cultivating a, a sense of awe and wonder. And really, he says, we have this, like on an affective, in, on the level of immediate experience, 
awe and wonder are there. The problem is we grow numb to this in terms of our kind of instrumental rationality and all of the tasks we have to do. And we lose the sensitivity to the enormity of what's right before us, right? Of, of the very fact there's something rather than nothing, of the very fact that we're alive. And so, so much of his work is this attempt to kind of recover that. And for Heschel, religious, the religious tradition Right for him, Judaism practice the the ritual law, the halakha. These are ways of cultivating a sensitivity to the this this stark wonder that is all around us. Right, that the fact that you know even if we're in this kind of world of the known, uh, lurking just underneath it is this whole unknown, this mystery. Right, that's so much greater than we can we can realize, and so much of this we can't. Uh, he loves the word the ineffable, right? That which we cannot put into words, right? Um, that the, the tradition gives us resources for cultivating sensitivity and awareness to that. Uh, but it's also, for Heschel, um, this idea that so much of the way we talk about religion, right? Or we, like, if you think about philosophy of religion, like so much of it is predicated on trying to prove God's existence and, or is it reasonable to believe X or Y or maintain such commitments? And it's all focused around a self, right? The knowing self that then makes judgments, right? Does God, is it reasonable to conclude God exists or not? Or, and for Heschel, this is a kind of perverse way of approaching. It's, it's profoundly irreligious because for Heschel, I mean, he has these lines about God being the subject and we're the object, yeah. right? That this this way that the self, the, the self of the religious person is decentered, right? This awareness, and, and you see this in awe and wonder, this awareness that we're there's there's much wider horizons than we realize, and we are just part of this much larger uh picture. And so for him, that is what religion is about, this kind of decentering and this this cultivation. Yeah. And you actually, there's a line um, that you include in here um, that I really love. And, and here's a moment where he becomes kind of like slippery and we'll talk about his slipperiness yeah. uh, later on, but he seem, he's equating two things or two approaches to big questions that seem like they're opposites. And he actually draws together why they're essentially both secular um, approaches mm -hmm. things. The fundamentalists claim that all ultimate questions have been answered. The logical positivists maintain that all ultimate questions are meaningless. And those of us who share neither the conceit of the former nor the unconcern of the latter and, re and reject both spacious answers and false evasions know that an ultimate issue is at stake in our, in our existence the relevance of which surpasses all final formulations. It is this embarrassment that is the starting point for our thinking. Um, I, I, yeah, and I think it's getting at what you're talking about there. Exactly, exactly. This so much, uh, you know, so he's, he, he has a, you know, he's very dismissive of like a uh, certain kind of, a certain religious conservative traditionalist perspective that sees or you know in judaism he calls it religious behaviorism right mm -hmm. or this this unwillingness to to acknowledge anything new right and um he has this wonderful quote another if i can match your quote with a different one <laughs> let me just find it it is he says um 
Oh, well, he says, it, you know, in order to be an heir, right, in order to inherit the tradition, you have to first be a pioneer, right, that you can't just, and, and he says that, you know, the wages of, like, there, there's this spiritual plagiarism that is a risk, right, that no, you, like, the tradition is dynamic, it's ongoing, you are to be rooted in the tradition and engaging the tradition, but that only means you're aware that it's the tradition that makes you open to the present, right? And to the, the range of events in the present. It is not like the, it is still like everything is at stake, right? The the spiritual significance, um, it's, it's not something that's just, oh, we've got the answers and now it's just, you know, we're just unwinding time. No, it's, you know, the, the key to be aware of the kind of the God is at stake for Heschel in history, in daily life that is that is so immense and and staggering and terrifying and but also embarrassing or you know this it, 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 it's not the kind of self-contained subject of you know kind of western philosophy that's autonomous and in charge and you know knows what it needs to do yeah it's there's no i think therefore i am um, right <laughs> in heschel right yeah there's right. There, it, it's something um that transcends all of that and i feel like that's one i for a christian uh listener to this show this is another i think benefit of looking at this book uh and, and looking into heschel's ideas in general because i think that there's in my lifetime uh growing up in christian circles a lot of emphasis is put on sort of apologetics uh and in right. the sort of the, the kind of logical rationale for God. Right. Uh, and I think Heschel thinks that's entirely missing the point <laughs> of, of this because God lives in the mystery, right? Um, and, and, right. and this idea of like uh, awe and wonder are essential to our understanding of how God is actually working in the world. And if we try to explain the awe and the wonder away uh, and, and kind of make it fit into our brains, then we've kind of sort of missed the uh, uh, missed the point, I think, in a lot of ways. Right. And he's been criticized by Jewish commentators for similar. Um, in, in an article I wrote years and years ago, I went through all of the critiques, you know, because they're like, oh, well, he's presupposing what he's trying to, you know, what he claims to prove. And all. he's not trying to prove. He's trying to shift the sensibility he thinks this kind of the the situation of like applying the modern mindset and justifying the tradition to the modern mindset is inherently problematic he's trying to recast and challenge the modern mindset yeah um and and i wonder um in our pre-recording conversation we talked about um why he's kind of forgotten in certain circles and i feel like he is um he resists specialists right uh the, the work of special academic specialists um, he's more of a generalist and, and a kind of public intellectual and as a lot of those folks have been kind of not engaged with in academia in in recent decades i think heschel is probably um uh ignored because he doesn't fit into the kind of frameworks that specialists require for uh academic study yeah i mean it's that's interesting and and certainly so he wrote a couple of things. I mean, so he has these bodies of scholarship, right? Where, uh, and he's the rare, I mean, this is, it's very unusual that someone writes, and he has scholarly works on Hasidic Judaism, Talmud, Bible, like he's got all of these things, which nobody does that, right? You're, I mean, I only write in philosophy of religion. I would never, <laughs> I would be, you know, ripped to shreds, rightfully so, if I tried to write about Talmud, right? And um, 
but he had this he had this tremendously broad learning that I, I it's almost impossible today. I mean, there are there are a few individuals I am aware of who have that sort of broad learning, but it's very, very rare. So there's there's that. But he also he wrote some of his his most famous books are written in an extremely accessible style. Yeah. And often people mistake that, right? Because I've written several, you know, I've, I've tried to argue in, in many different places, right? That yes, it's written in an accessible style, but it's incredibly sophisticated, right? In, in even, even as he's writing in this, this accessible, open, quite beautiful style, right? Um, that, there, there are very sophisticated premises and that it's, you know, the arguments are, are more complex than they seem, but there's a, there's a tendency. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say, oh, but it's mushy or it's, and it's, it's not, but it's, it's, it's not going, it, it's not playing the, the games of a kind of apologetics or setting up a kind of, this is the bar of what, you know, it means to uh, for something to be a reasonable belief about X. And, you know, it, it rather Heschel's is a kind of it's a very challenging sort of work that that scrambles and, and is trying to to reformulate what it is, what it means to think about religion. So it is it's this very broad vision. It's not he's not making small uh, pointed arguments, of, you know, within a well-defined genre that, it, you know, on a, a, a one particular issue. It's everything. Yeah. Um, and I think you see that in, in this book. I mean, you talk there's a there's a progression between this kind of essential philosophical approach to religion and how it plays out in politics. And so um, one thing, um, and incidentally, there's so much to this book that we uh, we won't be able to get to. Um, you also recently appeared on a, a sister show, uh, the, the Christian Humanist Profiles show with Michael Farmer. I, if you haven't listened to that listener, go back and listen to that one as well. And there's an entirely different set of questions that Dr. Owine uh, gets at uh, from, and Michael Farmer has a much more philosophical background than I do. And so I think you guys are able to have a conversation that I, I would be out I would I was not able to kind of follow and so uh, th- that's uh, there's much more to this and I, I recommend you listen to both shows um, but we have this idea of mystery as being essential right and then that leads into the role of the prophet um, and then that sort of leads into um, the the rightness of political activity activism with uh, and how it's synergistic with um, a true uh, religious faith. So can you talk a little bit about the synergy um, that Heschel uh, defines between politics and and theology? Right. Okay, excellent. So, yeah, so so let me go back and talk a little bit about his work on the prophets, because I think that's essential to, to understanding that synergy. So Heschel's dissertation was on the, was like on, uh, I forget the precise German, but it was on prophetic consciousness. And then it's published as a book in the early, in the mid thirties as uh, the prophetie or the, on prophetism, right? And then it gets later, it's this, this book, but vastly expanded and things becomes the prophets, the book you were just mentioned. But in this, in his dissertation, it's a strange, it's a strange volume. I love it, but it's, it's a very strange work because it's an unusual mix right? On the one hand, it's rooted in this very kind of, you know, it's rooted in comparative religion and very solid philological scholarship, but there's a theological and philosophical urgency, 
to it. And what he's trying to do is he's taking issue with the dominant approach in the 20s and 30s for looking and talking about the prophets in the German Protestant world, right? And that was, oh, there was nothing unique about the Hebrew prophets. They were merely, they're either, you know, some kind of version of an international phenomenon like diviners or oracles, um, or, or, and or, because often it was both, they manifest evidence of, of mental illness, mm. right? It's a pathological phenomenon. And, um, and they really kind of take issue and, and diminish the significance of the prophets. Then within Jewish circles, the defense of this, right, and the great philosopher Hermann Cohen um, and, and those around him, which was, was to view the prophets as ethical philosophers, right? That they're speaking in this kind of symbolic language, but they're really these kind of rational philosophers, right? Heschel rejects both of these approaches. And he says, no, that, that we need to clear away the, the obstacles to thinking about the God of pathos, that God has emotions, right? That God is vulnerable, that God is bound up in the world, right? That, that God is at stake in what happens in history. And so he moves to kind of reject this, this kind of Greek philosophical his, you know, lens that gets brought in, which he says is a kind of foreign accretion to the Bible, that, you know, this emphasis on the unmoved mover, that God is omnipotent, omniscient, and so on, and where we lose, or where when we take that stance, the idea of a kind of a God of pathos becomes embarrassing or, or weird. And he says, no, that this is, um, you know, the, the prophets, for the prophets, they, they are so extreme, right? They, they're these kind of one-sided, they're these zealots, right? And it's because they're tuned into God's feelings, right? Or the, the emotional life of God, which is scandalized, right? Which is incredibly sensitive to injustice. And so um, the, the prophets that are not prudent, right? They're not politicians. They're, they're causing trouble and getting into trouble. And he looks at that and he, he sees, you know, that the prophets see that what's at stake in terms of the civilization, what's it's going on in society is of theological significance to God. So let me segue from that to to politics, right? Mm -hmm. So in his in his speech that he, that he gave at a conference on religion and race and the title of his speech was religion and race. And this was a conference, I believe it was 1963, I believe, but that's this is the conference where he actually he was giving one keynote address, Martin Luther King Jr was giving another and that's where they meet. Mm -hmm. But in his talk, he um he mentions some minister who was criticizing Martin Luther King Jr. And he's saying, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. is a, he's, he's supposed to be a minister. He should be leading to the kind of the spiritual ed edification of his congregation. He shouldn't be concerning himself in, uh, in, with temporal, you know, passing political affairs. That, that's for the courts, right? He should just be focusing on the spiritual edification of the congregation. And Heschel like reads this with disbelief and he's like, this person has clearly never read the prophets, right? Who's <laughs> criticizing, like, no, for the prophets, it's what's happening in society, what's happening, it's not just a matter of the courts, right? That these are of vital spiritual significance. Politics is of spiritual significance. That doesn't mean we go to a theocracy or something, but it does mean we cannot separate 
you know, the church or the synagogue is just some place where you go and have these refined, cultivated feelings and sense of the infinite and so on. And then you go back and participate in a racist system without any qualms or support a government that's involved in unjust wars. And, you know, no, these are all of a piece. You can't just you can't distinguish them. And that is one point in the book where his relevance to our current time is just overwhelmingly obvious, right? Uh, you have yeah. uh, so many debates in, you know, I'm not Baptist, but in Southern Baptist circles right now, you've got this debate about critical race theory and, and all that sort of thing. And, and, and I feel like there's so much um, that we're getting wrong, uh, that we're ignoring in, in these debates. Um, and one thing that kind of stands out to me in, in thinking about how he might conceive of our debates now is that he is very tricky uh he's very slippery and he doesn't he's very difficult to pin into one of our sort of quadrants of 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 politics and religion right um and i remember you talking about this on the interview with michael farmer about some of his um inheritors some of his uh they've gone in wildly different directions right Right. (laughs) um do you want to say something about that before i continue i mean it's it's just striking because if you look at some of the really prominent voices you know, the uh, um, in in kind of the study of Jewish thought and so on. Uh, many of them claim to be Heschel students and they did. They studied with him. And so, but they they you know, you have some that have moved in these very kind of right conservative directions and others that have moved to these very uh, kind of new age. Right. And they, they've moved to these kind of opposite extremes. Heschel didn't do either of those. Right. He was deeply, deeply rooted in the, the Jewish kind of commentorial, the, the theological tradition. He's very rooted in classical sources and um, observant. But he but he saw the but in his hands, these sources are radical. Right. They're 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 you know, they're they're constantly calling us into question. They're constantly challenging us. And so he he embodied this kind of very interesting position, right, where that that was was very outward facing. He was very concerned with with politics, with with, you know, broad questions of justice uh, beyond just what's happening to Jews. But he's also um, he's also very, you know, he he's he's relying. He doesn't want to, like, scrap the tradition or, you know, move to this kind of, you know, he. He, he's very theologically conservative in, yeah. in the sense of being rooted to the kind of these traditional uh, positions and arguments and, and so on. Exactly. Right. And that seems to be in, in Christian circles. Let me just um, um, bracket what I'm going to say to Christian circles here. Um, but you do see uh, those two approaches are given us given to us as the options. You, right. you, you either um, are a traditionalist who thinks that sin is sin a hundred years ago and therefore it's the same as now, um, or you, or you're someone who is engaged in social justice. Um, and at the same time you're eschewing. And in fact, you're in, in many cases pinning the blame on social injustice on the traditions. Right. And, and I think that, um, Heschel would, um, not fit neatly into either Heschel would offend both of those um, camps, I think today. Right. And I think he would see both of them, as coming from a misunderstanding, at least from his perspective, sure. of what the tradition is. On the one hand, the you know the the kind of firm, um, you know the unchanging tradition or the tradition that 
you know, he makes fun of. It's like it's so preoccupied with finding, you know, the the kashrut or the the laws about diet, about new foods, where they fit and so on. And he's like, that's fine. But that's not the you know, the tradition is evolving in other ways. The tradition is is so for for Heschel, it's the it's if you're deeply engaged with the tradition, there are so many radical sources within the tradition, right, Mm -hmm. that it's that that demand just as they were responding to events in their day by trying to adapt and engage, you know, the what they the wisdom of the tradition and to live that dynamically and honestly in the present, right, that that again, to go back to that quote, to be an heir, you also have to be a pioneer. But then he sees the the other side then is just you're you're throwing off the tradition and you don't realize that what you're the kind of platitudes or the kinds of you know things that you accept um and take on aren't as rich right they're or they're borrowing from this kind of modern mindset that you know that is consumerist and and it's Mm -hmm. it doesn't have the same heft or the spiritual resources so yeah he wants to pull the tradition away from both of those you know that they the the way both of the the kind of the two dominant perspectives as it's authorized you know in our contemporary discourse he wants to say neither of them is is talking about the tradition right yeah i think um often when i think about more progressive forms of of christianity again um, and i I feel like that there's parallels here uh that i can apply to christianity and i realize that judaism is a different context but oh yeah absolutely um um, but I, i do think though that when and i see in a lot of progressive circles there's this tendency to try and like push back the date at your engagement with tradition to a point before it was spoiled. Right. Uh, you know, right. but you know, there was some point where human beings did something and, and, and messed up the tradition. Right. So let's move back the, our date um, to pass that and then just kind of go with that. And I feel like that is, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's always going to be a tension between religious devotion and modern sensibilities. Right. And, and, and those tensions end up being coded in the religious practices of that day, right? And so I, I just feel like there's never, you're never going to push it back far enough to get beyond the tensions you're seeking to get beyond. And I think that um, this idea of like creative um, traditionalism, I don't know if that's a term yeah. that you would use, um, is um, I, I think a way to kind of make use of the tradition in an appropriate way. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it's really subversive. If it, you, yes. I mean, just the way he's, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 it really, from our kind of a contemporary mindset and the kind of the way, you know, the, the way things line up uh, politically. Yeah. It, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating approach. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I'm often wondered what Twitter would do with uh, with Heschel. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if the, I don't know. If I don't, we have yeah. a way. I don't think there is a a, twi- a version of Twitter. That Although would... I suspect he would be very good at the short pithy statement. His writing fits perfectly in that. Honestly, yeah, yeah that you could think of this almost as a collection of the collected yeah. tweets of uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel. Heschel. Um, and so, um, as we wrap up, um, I want to talk a little bit about his legacy you talked about how he's already um he's inspired a a quite broad (laughs) range of theological thought what i mean say more about his legacy um uh in uh, in theology and in um in politics so um in terms of his legacy so it's it's difficult to to overstate and it's also difficult to characterize his legacy because it's it's multifaceted and it's very complex 
So on the one hand, right, um, just kind of the most salient thing. I mean, on the one hand, you know, he was instrumental in changing the fundamental relationship, say, between Jewish Christian relations. Yeah. Right. In terms of his involvement, his reaching out to the Vatican, the you know, um, his behind the scenes efforts. Um, um, you know, but but this idea, right, that that when you look at that Judaism in America can be outward facing, right, that observing the traditional law, right, observing keeping kosher, you know, writ practice, um, devout practice study, that that can be coupled with a kind of progressive politics, mm -hmm. right, that that can be, you know, I when I when I look out today and I see this this kind of a range of if not orthodox, orthopraxis um, kind of scholars and, and activists, many of them call themselves Heschelians, right? That this idea of, you know, that um, that questions of, you know, immigration and justice for, you know, um, uh, social justice concerns, that these are theological matters, that these are issues that religious that that should concern us theologically and should concern Jews theologically, right? That these, that that um, that God is at stake in these sorts of, of of issues and questions of social justice. That that we are called upon not just to be insistent about, you know, observing rituals, but that that observing the rituals is also part of this larger process of of being engaged and concerned about what's happening in society, right? And and taking action. I mean, you know, there's a, a, a famous story, um, and I've heard this, I, I don't remember where I heard this, but Heschel was, you know, he was out protesting the Vietnam War. And I mean, he's a traditionalist looking Jew, you know, he has a big beard and he's <laughs> dressed. And this reporter's like, what are you doing here at this rally? And he's like, I, you know, shouldn't you be praying? And he's like, I can't pray while the Vietnam, while the war is going on. Like, I can't, you know, that this, these are the, um, that, that, uh, you know, I, that, that, protesting is itself also a kind of theological expression or he very famously you know when he marched with martin luther king um from some of the montgomery and when he got back he said that he felt like his legs were praying mm -hmm. and he talked about this kind of how he you know that that this action was you know that this was a holy activity yeah so, go ahead yeah no, yeah, um, and there's a line I won't be able to find it uh, in a, a pro, but there's there's lines about the how it's not so much thoughts and words, but actions that um, define, you know, devotion and faith, right? Um, right. Yeah, and so that that's lived out right there. Um, yeah, I do. I and all, as you're talking, I. I'm sure I'm over reading this. I'm an English professor, so this is one of the things I do. Um, but uh, it, there does seem to be an interesting parallel. I think the next time I teach Chaim Potok's The Chosen, mm. I'll probably pair it with some Heschel because um, mm, it, it, the, the Hasidic, you know, yeah, that, background that, and, yeah. and, and Danny Saunders, you know, evolving beyond that and becoming the Zadik to the Gentiles, you know, as they say in yeah. the book, right? I, I feel like there's a, there's a, a, I wonder how much Potok was inspired by That's Heschel. That's interesting. Yeah, I have no idea. I, it's been ages since I've read that book. I can't. I, I, I taught remember. it last semester. That's why maybe uh, why yeah. it's fresh in my head. Um, but yeah, so there is a, um, a, a really kind of ecumenical um, uh, legacy that I think he has. Yeah. And, and I think that it is really wonderful. And I think it's also important 
to, and this is a connection with the, the, the last interview I did with Rachel Pye Jones about her book, um, the, the equation, uh, the, the idea of conversion is left out of this equation, right? It, it's sort of cross uh, interfaith relationships, right? And I think that that's um, also very um, um, powerful. Um, so as we close, is there anything that you'd like to add that, um, that I didn't hit on that you'd like to sort of make sure that, we, uh, that the listener knows um, or thinks about when they think about Heschel? I mean, I suppose what I would just say is he's very much of our moment. Like I would, I would just urge, you know, if you don't know his work, it's wonderful. It, it really, this, you know, doing this book was such a pleasure because I got to go through and find the passages that I find resonant. And it's shocking, these works that are written 70, 60, 70 years ago. I feel like there's, there's a timeliness to, to his concerns, to, um, to the sorts of, um, the you know the various kinds of arguments he's making it's, it's just it's you read it and it feels like he's speaking to you today um absolutely and that's that was my experience as well in reading this um so dr robert Earlwine, thank you so much uh for taking the time to uh first of all put this book together um and thank you to plow uh publishing for uh for um, distributing it to us all uh, i think it's uh, it's really great work and i think that it's really kind of important and and thought-provoking uh, uniquely thought-provoking at this particular time in our history. And so if anybody has any questions uh, or any comments, you can feel free to reach out to me. Um, um, my name is Danny Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at Danny P. Anderson. And uh, you can find me, you know, on my college website and all that stuff too. Um, Dr. Earlwine, uh, where can they follow your work? Are you on any social media or anything? Oh, oh, yeah. Um uh it's okay if you're not <laughs> yeah yeah i'm on facebook <laughs> yeah yeah no i'm um academia.edu okay <laughs> <laughs> well and uh you could go to the illinois wesleyan and the uh, illinois wesleyan <laughs> website under i'm i'm now in the philosophy department yes Although, I think I may still be on the religion. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Erwin, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. Uh, yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. No, the pleasure is all mine. And thanks again for listening to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast.